6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 42 through 48. In John 19, we see these things used for embalming Christ, his death. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Who on earth is the queen? Where did this come from? Who is the queen? Right on. You got it there. Got a gold star, the man in the third row. You betcha. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thy ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Wow, that's a surprising thing. Forget thine own people and thy father's house. Your footnote there is Matthew 10. He says, think not that I come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace but a sword. A man's foes will be his own household. Daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against father-in-law, etc. No, it's a divisive thing. The church in the Old Testament is not mentioned by name, but only by allusion or type. Most of the brides in the Old Testament are pictures of Christ and his bride, like Eve, Rebecca, and Ruth, and so on. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift, even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within, her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. This is, verse 11 and on is the preparation of the bride. The church is to be made beautiful. All sin will be removed. This is the future tense of salvation. The past tense of salvation is to remove you from the penalty of sin. We call that justification. The present tense of sin is to, is to, not the penalty of sin, the power of sin. Separate you from the power of sin. Sin has no authority to reign over you. You have authority over sin if you take it, but it has to be done moment by moment. But the future tense of salvation is glorification. And that's what we're seeing here. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Her virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. Worship thou him. You're worshiping this king. This, is not a, this isn't King David in the traditional sense. This is a king that is God. And she, the queen, the bride, shall be brought unto the king. This is indeed a presentation as clear as you'll find it in the Old Testament of what we call in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace Instead of thy father shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. This speaks of the millennial kingdom. Nine out of ten, ten, excuse me, nine out of ten churches 
Nine out of ten churches in America do not acknowledge the millennium as a literal event. And that causes all kinds of uh, uh, hermeneutical problems in terms of the Old Testament and New Testament, if you don't take that seriously. And uh, this, is, this, this psalm is a glorious psalm. And when it's put in the proper perspective, it has great meaning for you and I today. Because we're on that threshold. We're on that threshold. Okay, so we've gone through uh, uh, these uh, uh, first five. Married Supper of the Lamb. Let's go down to the next group of three, the final group of three. Verse, we'll go to Psalm 46, which deal with his kingdom. It's, it's going to deal with its arrival. The next one will be its range and then its center. Let's take Psalm 46. This is the first, the, these three are widely recognized as the kingdom psalms. Psalm 46, the arrival of the kingdom through tribulation. Psalm 47, the range of the kingdom. All of the earth is going to be in view here. Not just Israel. All of the earth is ruled from there. And the center of the kingdom, of course, is Jerusalem or Zion. Psalm 48. Okay, Psalm 46. It has three elements. The sufficiency of God, first three verses. The security of God in the next uh, four verses. And the supremacy of God, the last four verses. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, there again it is to the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. Alamoth evidently refers to the virgins. And we recognize that verse from Isaiah 7.14 and so forth. In this instance, it speaks of the maiden's voices. This psalm is sort of reminiscent of the song of deliverance and victory that was sung by the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea, apparently led by Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron in Exodus 15. It has some parallels here. It opens that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. Um, when he wrote the great Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he, may, he very well may have had this psalm in mind. Verse 1 of this psalm is on his tombstone at, in, at Wittenberg. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, and then we have that pause to consider Selah. You know, Christians fail to trust God because we know nothing of his sufficiency. We have not learned that God is sufficient in any circumstance. When we, when, when we fear, we're doubting God. That's why fear in Revelation 1 verse 8 and other places is a sin. Because it is, a, it is doubting God at his word. Interestingly enough. Continues, Psalms continues, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. We, when the Psalms were opening, Psalm 1 introduced us, you know, that the, the man that was blessed was by uh, the rivers of water, which is the word of God. Uh, Ezekiel tells us that river flows from the house of God in the millennial period. And John, of course, speaks of a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God in Revelation 22. So that echoes all three, if you will. God is in the midst of her. 
She shall not be moved. God shall help her. That, and that right early. That's a good southern expression, isn't it? Right early. Actually, the Hebrew says, when the morning appeareth, is the, the open translation. But the King James guys, I guess, came from the, must, must have been the southern part of England. Right? And that right early. I like that. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttereth his voice, the earth melted. I can't recall that happening historically. No, I think that's yet future. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. When you speak of Jacob, the God of Jacob, let's remember that Jacob was well protected and didn't deserve it. He was protected from being killed by his brother in Genesis 27. He was protected from being ignored at the dispensation of the blessing in Genesis 25. He was protected from being cheated by Laban, his employer. He was protected from getting involved with a war over Dinah in Genesis 34. And he also was protected from an early death because he lived till he was 130. So he had protection and yet Jacob was a conniving scoundrel. So if, if Jacob can be justified, there's hope for all of us. Hmm? You wouldn't buy a used car from Jacob, I don't think. Anyway. Verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in the sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire. Only a war will cause wars to cease. We always fight a war, it's going to be the last war. Isn't that nonsense? That was the World War I, the war to end wars. We call it, that was, we call it the Great War, because that was before we knew we had to number them, right? And uh, this sets the picture of the last days on earth, and there will be a final war that the Lord himself will bring to an end. And uh, the one that is cut, the stone cut without hands, as Nebuchadnezzar saw it in Daniel 2, will deal an annihilating blow to the earth. And uh, we're, told when we're, we're told that when the battle of Armageddon is over, the wreckage of the warfare and the dead will be strewn everywhere. And that's in Haggai 2 and Joel 3 and all through the, the, those passages. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord, God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. This is God's purpose for the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And um, there are convulsions even in nature today. We look at the, the tsunami in the South Pacific. We look at Katrina. There are convulsions. But he tells us to be calm in the time of the storm. Christ was in a storm with his disciples. And he went to sleep. He seemed to have more trouble calming the disciples than calming the storm. <laughs> this psalm will be a great blessing in the future. I believe the psalm has primary focus in a time yet forthcoming. So we've uh, looked at these dispensationally considered ones. And we've been, let's take a look at Psalm 47, his kingdom. In this, kind, in this case, it's range, which of course is the whole earth. Again, the chief musician, again, it's a psalm for the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto the God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. Terrible here, but awesome in concept here. He is a great king over what? Over Israel? No, over all the earth. Yes, reigning from, we'll see where he's reigning from shortly, but he's the king over all the earth. Key phrase. 
He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. That's a Jew talking. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. And uh, now, this is, strangely enough, this is the appropriate time to sing this hymn that we sing at Christmas. This hymn that we all hear has nothing to do with Christmas. If you apply it to Christmas, you're admitting you're amillennial. I don't think you want to do that. Joy to the World by Isaac Watts. The time of the psalm deals with is the time to sing the song. What does it really say? Think about it. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Has she? Not yet. Who is the king of this world? He is actually, but not, he hasn't taken his throne yet. Who is the God of this world? Satan. Yeah. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and earth nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Does he reign today? Not really. He hasn't taken his throne yet. Let men their songs employ. While fields and, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Have you seen some ground absent of thorns lately? Not yet. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Sir Isaac, uh, Isaac Watts. Joy to the world. Great hymn, but misapplied. Most people don't realize that it's applying to a period of time yet to come. Indeed, it's made possible because of the birth, but more importantly, because of the empty tomb, the death and resurrection. Continuing, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. That's interesting. A shout and a trumpet is alluded to in First Thessalonians 4, as I recall. We call it the harpazo, right? Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. I like this. Do you notice how often it says this? Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to God or King, sing praises with, all, with understanding. The cherubim, seraphim, whatever, in Isaiah 6, it's seraphim and elsewhere cherubim. Holy, holy, holy. Always three. Why? Because there's three persons. Exactly right. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth, those are shields, in other words, the military might of the earth, belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. This is the way Gabriel translates this psalm. It's slightly different, a little clearer. God has gone up, against, uh, gone up amidst shouting, Jehovah amid the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises unto God, sing praises unto our king, sing praises for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises for instruction. God reigneth over the nations. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The willing-hearted of the people have gathered together with the people of God, of Abraham. For unto God belong the shields of the earth. He is greatly exalted. Okay, so we have looked at the, the second of the last trilogy. Let's, let's wrap it up with Psalm 48. And that would deal with the center of his reign. Psalm 48, a song, and, uh, a song and psalm for the sons of Korah. Again, 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Just where is his city? Where is the mountain of his holiness? Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Now that gets very specific. We're talking about Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem that we know. There's going to be some huge topographical changes, among other things. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. The sides of the north. This is a very, very mystical phrase that deserves a lot more attention than we've been able to give it so far. Could this be the way of ascent or descent upon the earth? There's a remarkable prophecy in Isaiah that deals with Satan that we'll look at here in a minute. God is known among a palace for refuge. The city of our God, city of the great king. So we're talking about all of that. Um, in Isaiah, Isaiah there, notice I'm, I've switched. I've gone to Isaiah here. He's speaking of Satan and directing the Satan. He says, for thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. And we have the same phrase again. In the sides of the north. What on earth is that about? Let me tell you, frankly, no one knows. All kinds of conjectures. But no one's quite sure. Because, you know, the, 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 the sphere of the earth doesn't have sides. What do you mean the sides of the north? Is this some kind of phrase that's hyperdimensional? I think so. Is this, is this the pathway from the earth to the New Jerusalem, which is above the earth? We see there, those are all wild speculations. And Satan says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, which, of course, is, his, is the ambition that causes him to be thrown out. Continuing back with the Psalm 48, verse 5. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travel. This describes the time after the 1,000 years of peace when the devil was finally released for a season, right? Remember that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7? When the 1,000 years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. When Christ comes back, he puts Satan in chains. The beast, the false prophet, are cast in Gehenna. But for 1,000 years, there is no excuse for man. Satan's bound. At the end of 1,000 years, he's turned loose. So he loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which were in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up from the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Praise God. Continuing Psalm 48, verse 7, Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. 
For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Mark ye well. Set your heart. Consider. Raise up. And uh, consider her palaces. Reminded of John 14. If they're in my father's house are many mansions. Palaces. Take your pick. So we've looked at these dispensationally considered. A little different perspective. You can go through them yourself. I encourage you to do so. Read and reread them and apply them personally, not being overly preoccupied with this perspective, but just consider the fact that of these seven Psalms, it's interesting that the first three are suggestive of the Great Tribulation. Clearly, Psalm 45 focuses on issues that relate to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the last three speak of His kingdom. So that's in, that's in a sense in chronological order dispensationally. And the kingdom psalms, of course, deal with its arrival, its range, and its center as, a, as their focus. A slightly different perspective of these seven psalms, one that you might not glean just by reading the psalms alone, but would be very evident if you really have done your homework eschatologically, they do seem to fit in a surprising way. And I was very moved by both the uh, Dr. Ruckman and uh, Javerin McGee, who who highlight some of the uh, from whom I've gleaned some of these ideas, and uh, so we have the past context, which we have little insight for these. We have the present. How does it impact Israel today? And boy, it's Israel's primary hope today as they approach the time that we think they're go- heading into here. And of course, personally, the real issue for every one of us is how do these psalms affect us personally? And the only way that gets responded to is by just pouring yourself, immersing yourself in them. Every great leader that I've encountered in the church or even in politics, in the, especially in the early stages of this country, were men who were immersed in the Psalms. And the Psalms were very personal to them, very, very vital to them. But then prophetic. We have, of course, the Messianic Psalm. That's well-traveled ground for most of you. But the dispensational, uh, dispensationally considered aspects are ones that are perhaps a little um, uh, uh, speculative, conjectural, but hopefully fruitful. But the real issues to close on is chewing the cud. Animals that were for clean sacrifices were ones that chewed the cud, and I think the idiom is intentional. We are to chew the cud. We don't read these once. We don't study them intellectually. We want to absorb them into our souls by rereading and meditating. Don't allow me to get you into what I call analysis paralysis. Don't analyze and categorize and exposit these things to the detriment of the real message. Because that can blindfold your souls to what the real message is. And uh, prayerful absorption is the issue, not intellectual dissection. And uh, in any case, these are intended to be a gateway into the presence of our King Himself on a one-to-one, personal, private-time basis. And so with that, let's close our study. For next time, you might read the next, from Psalm 49 through 55 to get ready for next time. And be heartened next time we get into some real juicy stuff because it deals with Psalm 51, which is about David and Bathsheba, a, a, a situation you probably have some knowledge of. But if you haven't, read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 in preparation of the next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer.
Let's bow our hearts. Father, we come before your throne in awe of who you are. And we stagger as we realize the implications of you calling us here to this moment in time, giving us the opportunity to gain an insight and to humbly bow before your throne. We thank you, Father, for the days ahead as we know that they are going to bring to a climax your dealing with mankind. We know there are dark times coming, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Turbulent times. In those times, Father, let us never take our eyes off of you. Help us to... Maintain our confidence in your sufficiency for all our needs. And we just look with great excitement to participation in that final banquet, that marriage supper where the king is crowned and his bride is seated with him. We thank you, Father, for these glimpses We pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, you'd open our hearts and lives to your word, that we each might more fully apprehend what's forthcoming in your plan for each of us. We we pray, Father, that you'd help each of us to understand precisely what it is you would have of each of us in the days ahead as we once again commit ourselves without any reservation into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, who is our Savior, our Lord, our King, the Bridegroom who's coming, in whose name we do pray. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.